0: everyone. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. For the second week in a row, I am your sole host, Zach Horton. My wife Krista is on a trip this week, and um, we did not mean last week to not do an episode. It just Passed us by, which has not happened yet in almost four years of podcasting. So, a pretty good track record, but we have been uh, on a couple of different vacations here and there. It's been a crazy summer for us, but a lot of fun. Hopefully, your summer is a lot of fun for you. And hopefully, you're somewhere where you have either lots of air conditioning or lots of ice cream. We were in southern Utah. And it was 116 degrees on one day, and uh, maybe you're from somewhere hotter than that, and that doesn't sound hot to you, but to me, that's really hot. And then we came home to Pennsylvania, and it was 95 degrees and like 90-something percent humidity, and that was even worse. So hopefully you're somewhere cooler than that, and if you're not, then maybe you can commiserate together with us. But apologies for missing last week, Um, but hopefully you had a great study. And I am excited for this study this week. These are um, There's some great principles and um, ideas in these chapters that I think can make a difference in our lives. And I want to start to help us discover a truth or maybe a perspective as we study sections 81 through 83 this week discover something that we might skip over. Um, There is a word that is used uh, quite often in the church, and it is mentioned here in section 82 in verse 11 and in a couple of other places as well. It's one that we're very familiar with. The word is covenant. Um, And if you were to ask anyone, a member of the church what the word covenant means, you'd probably get a similar response. Covenant is a two-way promise between us and God. Now, I am not at all saying that's incorrect. However, it's interesting that in these sections, the Lord uses a word to mean covenant, and he uses this word more often than he does the word covenant. And because the two are linked, I think this is actually a really good descriptive word to help us understand what covenants are. So I'll read it, you'll catch it. Starting in verse 10, the very famous verse I, the Lord, am bound when ye do what I say. But when ye do not what I say, you have no promise. Therefore, verily I say unto you that it is expedient for my servants Edward Partridge and Newell Whitney, A. Sidney Gilbert and Sidney Rigdon, and my servant Joseph Smith and John Whitmer and Oliver Cowdery and W. W. Phelps and Martin Harris to be bound together by a bond and covenant. That cannot be broken by transgression, except judgment shall immediately follow in your several stewardships. And then to skip to verse 15, one final instance of the word. Therefore, I give unto you this commandment that you bind yourselves by this covenant and it shall be done according to the laws of the Lord. Now, the background here is they're setting up what will be called the United Firm, or later on it'll be referred to as the United Order, which is a conglomeration of all of the different um, commercial enterprises that the church has. They have a, a literary firm, the scriptures, they're, they're working on printing the Doctrine and Covenants, the, the Book of Commandments, and, and the Lord's commanding them to bring all these things together and to bind themselves together, um, to work together, Uh, on these various different projects. However, there's something deeper here in that the Lord uses the word covenant and the word bound together. There have been a couple of scholars that have looked at the word covenant, and one of the ideas I love most about the word covenant is that the word covenant in Greek actually connotes to bind or clasp or tie two things together. Uh, I've done this a couple of times when I've had the chance to speak at baptisms because I want whoever's getting baptized to understand what it is that they're doing. Uh, in our modern day, a promise sometimes doesn't mean as much, especially if it's an eight-year-old kid. Uh, their their short-term memory or their long-term memory, whichever one is lacking, that that promises don't last a whole lot of time. I mean, my kids can't remember promising me that they'll sit in their seats five minutes after they promise they'll sit in their seats, and they're up and climbing on the table. So. So I, I use this illustration to kind of help them understand what, it, what a covenant means. And what I'll do, if you can imagine this, is I'll bring up um, uh, the person getting baptized. So say it's, it's my daughter that's getting baptized next year. So I'll bring her up and I'll stand her next to me and I'll pull out a little bit of rope and I will tie a rope around my wrist and then I'll tie the rope around her wrist to signify a covenant or a bond between the two of us. And if I, in this case, symbolize the Savior and she symbolizes herself making a covenant with the Savior, the neat thing is, is that wherever she goes, because I'm tied to her, I now go too. And then the even more important truth is wherever I go, she comes with me. And then as we bind ourselves or covenant with other people through marriage or through family ceilings, then that increases the bonds that tie us all together. And I love that description of the word covenant because it conveys something powerful for us, certainly, that this is more than just a promise we're making to God. We're tying ourselves to him. But what I like more about it is what it means for God himself. Back in verse 10 in section 82, I, the Lord, am bound. That is a God tying himself to mortals. I will tie myself to you and I won't take off my bonds or my covenants. You, of course, can take off yours. And uh, at the beginning of our study this week, section 81 is actually a good example of this because originally that section was given to Jesse Goss, who was uh, given promises and blessings as a member of the first presidency. And then when he left faithfulness, um, those that bond was broken and it was transferred, of course, to Frederick G. Williams. And so we can break our bonds, but the Lord never breaks his. And what I like about this is it strengthens what a covenant is from God's perspective. I, I get a little bit uncomfortable when people talk about covenants as a two-way promise, or as I've heard someone call it once, a mutual agreement. Because it's not mutual. There's nothing about this that's equal. I'm tying myself to the creator of heaven and earth, to the omniscient, omnipotent one. That's not an equal relationship. It's not I give a little bit, you give a little bit, and we compromise and come out the same. This is a completely unequal relationship. And God himself sets the terms and even commands it. Uh, Psalm 111 verse 9, He sent redemption unto his people. He hath commanded his covenant Forever, God commands us to tie ourselves to him, which is interesting because he's commanding us to enter into a relationship where we are completely um, outmatched is the wrong word. (laughs) We are completely one sided. God brings so much more to this covenant relationship than we do. And yet he's the one that commands it. I command you to tie yourself to me, even though I, God, am going to give you so much more than you will ever give me, which again just points to the kindness, the generosity, and the love, and the sincere desire God has for our well-being and our welfare. So as you read sections 81 through 83 this week, and you see the word covenant come up or other places in the Doctrine of Covenants, remember this isn't just a two-way promise, and it's certainly not a mutual agreement. This is a binding relationship that God commands us to enter into where he blesses us in abundance. And we promise to uh, be willing to take his name upon us and keep his commandments. Now, to invest your own mind and heart into this study, two questions came to me that I think would be powerful for you to ask yourself as you study. Question one, why and how should I better bind myself to God? How and why? I guess that's cheating because there's two questions in that and I actually have another question with two questions. So first, how? How can I better bind myself to him? And why should I? What is it about God that makes me want to tie myself or bind myself to him? The second question is why and how can I better bind myself to others? Whether it's someone you have already made a covenant relationship with, a spouse or children, or it's just someone that you want to be closer tied to, a a friend, um, family members are included in that covenant relationship, uh, associates, other people that you want to be more committed to and you want to be more closely tied to. Why and how can I better bind myself to others? I think one of God's grand visions for us as his family is for us all to be bound and tied together with love, with compassion, with service. And So how can we do that more for others? How can we tie ourselves or bind ourselves more to them? The final step in... uh, My study this week, the final invitation I give to you, is to connect to God in your everyday life, something practical that you might do. And as I was wrestling with this on my own, I noticed that there were a couple of specific things the Lord commands us to covenant to do. So this is section 82, verse verse 14, and this is my favorite verse in the section. One of my favorite verses, language like this shows up in a couple of different places in Isaiah and in the Isaiah chapters in the Book of Mormon. And I really like what it is that we are binding ourselves or covenanting to do. So, verse 14. For Zion must, that's a covenant word, a binding word. Zion must 1 increase in beauty. And in holiness. Two, her borders must be enlarged. Three, her stakes must be strengthened. Four, yea, verily I say unto you, Zion must arise and put on her beautiful garments. Now you could have a heyday with that this week as you study each of those individual invitations, and you'll get out of it so much more uh, than what I can share in just a minute. But maybe to get you started, or at least to share what I thought as I read those, some practical ideas, the first invitation there to increase in beauty and holiness is a covenant for us to become more beautiful and holy. And I like the word beautiful there. Um, Holy means something that is set aside or set apart for a sacred purpose. Um, we have great examples of holy things, holy places, holy buildings. And I think the the image for me of what can I do in my life, what can I bind myself, what can I covenant with God that I will do to more to beautify myself spiritually, to make myself, my life, my surroundings more holy. Number two. Her borders must be enlarged. I really like this one. Um, I have gone through just a personal kind of transition in how I view myself as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ over the past couple of years. Um, When I served my mission... I had an image, and this is just me. <laughs> it's something I, I definitely needed to repent of, and was not wise. But I had a somewhat us versus them mentality, where I belonged to the true Church of Jesus Christ, and I was out there to try and convert everybody else. Um, and there was a superiority that I felt I had as a member of the Church. Um, you know, we were the one true Church, and there was a doctrine, and there were authority, and and uh, and. Ordinances that we had that others didn't have. And, and so I, I'm, I'm afraid, I, I have these haunting memories of thinking back on my mission and wondering, did that come through as I was talking to people? Did I come off as somewhat superior sounding? Now, I am not discounting that this church has the gospel of Jesus Christ, nor that it has priesthood authority to perform ordinances, nor prophets or apostles. All of that is absolutely true. But if we are not careful, we can run the risk and be guilty of holding on to a really small tent, holding on to a really small church. When what the Lord is asking here is for us to enlarge our borders, to open up to other people and other thoughts and other beliefs, not that we necessarily let it change ours, but that we be understanding Um, and acceptable of theirs. Joseph Smith once said that uh, the Church of Jesus Christ is the only church that can adopt and embrace all truth. We're flexible, we're charitable, we're kind, and we allow for other people to think and believe and feel differently, and yet come in, enjoy, uh, be welcomed, and participate in the gospel of salvation. So what can I do to make more space for other people? The third one, her stakes must be strengthened. I love the idea that we are under a covenant to strengthen our weaknesses, that whatever is weak within us, we are to be, to make strong. And of course, the Lord promises his help with that. And then finally, number four, Zion must arise and put on her beautiful garments, which of course is, is a call to the temple. That we are to arise to put on our garments to prepare for those ordinances that will prepare us for salvation. So, that's just a brief introduction to some of the things we might covenant to do. As you study this week, as you study covenants, as you ask yourself what you could do to bind yourself more closely to God or to others, and as you think about these different covenants, I hope that you'll open yourself up to what the Spirit says to you, to the thoughts and impressions that come, um, and promise. And if we can open ourselves up to this kind of relationship with God, and if we can open ourselves up to this kind of relationship with others, uh, he'll bless us with greater peace, love, and charity. Thank you so much for studying with us in this episode. Have a wonderful week, and we will see you next episode.